welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. What would you do with $2,000? I would spend the money on a really good set of race wheels. Nothing changes the character of your bike more than a good set of wheels. If I have some money to spend, I'm going to focus on things like bike fit, things like where's your contact points on the bike, your saddle, your shoes. Your bike, just making sure that it's in really good working condition is is huge. So taking it to your bike shop, getting a new chain, a, you know, a new cassette, maybe a new crank set, whatever's going on there, just to make sure that everything's working efficiently. Hello and welcome to Fast Talk, the VeloNews training podcast. I am Kaylee Fretz, an editor here at VeloNews, and as always, I'm here with Coach Trevor Connor. We also have VN's pair of tech quizzes, Dan Cavallari and Kristen Legan, with us today. And that's because today's podcast is tech heavy. We have one big question we want to answer. If you have 2000 bucks and want to go faster, what should you spend it on? We'll discuss the merits of a pro fit, fast wheels, fast frames, and lots more. Let's make you fast. The fundamental question that we are going to try to answer, and again, this is why we brought in Dan and Kristen, because they have quite a bit of expertise in these matters, is... Where is your money best spent? And to do so, we're going to perform a little mental exercise and ask each of the four around this table what we would do with $2,000. Trevor, we're going to start with you. Uh, You're a bit of a retro grouch, and so I imagine your answer is going to be slightly different from the more technically minded around this table. I still look far cooler than you showing up in my 1994 diamond bag. Trevor's with, never looked cool in the history of time. With, <laughs> with fenders and on whatever $10,000 prototype you show up for the ride on. Trevor's shoes do not even match his frame. End of discussion. And I wear white <laughs> shoes after September. So, Trevor, what would you do with $2,000? So, you know, I actually had that exact question when I, when I went to a, a friend who had a bike shop. I had about $2,500 to spend, and I asked him, uh, what sort of bike I could get with that, expecting to get a top-end bike. And his response to me, which I think over the years I've come on the same page, was he pulled out the $1,000 bike and said, buy two of these. I think gear is going to make a difference to a point. No, you can't win the Tour de France on a Huffy, but I, I am not a believer that the $10,000 bike is going to make that much of a difference over the, the $1,500 bike when it comes to performance. It just looks a little cooler and probably rides a, a little nicer. You know what? I'm going to give you my my gestaltus anecdotal evidence here, <laughs> and this this is personal experience. Uh. When I went out to the center in Canada, the National Center to train there, I showed up with a $900 barely race worthy Fuji. I spent an entire year with everybody just getting on my case. Trevor, why are you on the bike? Get on a real race bike. You're going to be that much faster. And they finally convinced me. And I got a sponsorship and I got a top of the line Orbea. And I had this hill climb that I used to do once a month to test my form. And I went out to that climb going, I'm going to crush my personal best in this climb because this bike is fast, this bike is light. I'm done with that old Fuji. And I went and killed myself up that climb. You know how much faster I was? None faster. No, one second. (laughs) I focus, if I have some money to spend, I'm going to focus on 
things like bike fit, things like where's your contact points on the bike, your saddle, your shoes, the things that are going to allow you as a rider to be in your best position and perform your best on the machine. So what, a bike fit is 300 bucks. Good bike fit, yeah, is going to be anywhere from the 200 to even up to five, $600 for, for the best. Any uh, Anybody in particular that you recommend, like uh, Retool or anything like that? Have you, uh, do you have any personal experience with those? Well, Retool is actually quite literally that. It's just a tool. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different bike fit systems can use the, the Retool technology. I'm a personal fan of the, the BG Fit system. Because That's of specialized, their, correct? That is specialized because of their philosophy. It's not about being as aerodynamic as possible. It's about being healthy on the bike in a relatively aerodynamic position. Because I think if you get too aerodynamic, you can start getting injuries. You can start losing power. You start struggling to hold that position. So there needs to be a balance. You need to be comfortable on the bike. You need to be in a position that allows you to put out your best power. So speaking of bike fits, we are lucky to have Dr. Andy Pruitt, the inventor of the body geometry fit systems, drop by our offices and talk with us for a bit. We had to take advantage of the opportunity to get his opinion on what is the best way to get a fit. So Dr. Pruitt, I'll throw that question at you. What advice do you have for our listeners looking for a good fit? Well, number one, I really appreciate the fact that you're um, kind of pushing home the fact that everybody needs a bike fit regardless of age or level of of um, expertise or, or skill level that the single one thing that keeps people from pursuing a cycling career at any level is discomfort. So pursuing that right saddle, uh, getting that right saddle and getting those handlebars in the right place is really crucial to long-term success. So the body geometry system is promoted and taught through Specialized. So you can go on the Specialized website and find a fitter through the body geometry link I think word of mouth is probably one of your better ways to find good fitting. Um, ask your colleague or ask the shop who fit them and how they found cycling comfort. So word of mouth, websites, um, your doctor, your physical therapist are all really good places to find whoever's really hot in your in your neighborhood. But I would say beware of the Vogue fitter. There's a lot of make-believe experts out, out there. Um, be, be cautious of the Vogue fitter. How would you spot one? How would you spot the Vogue fitter? Um, they're the guy that's usually a little bit out there, right? I mean, uh, doesn't follow a sound, reproducible process. Um, everybody leaves his shop looking the same. That's that's usually yeah. That that's usually the key. If everybody leaves there looking the same, then he doesn't have a wide variety of of physical assessment backgrounds. Right? And I think that the key is the physical assessment. Any bike fit where Nobody examines you is not going to be worthwhile in the long run. So if you could give a quick bulleted list, what would be the things you should look for in a good fit? Comfort. Comfort leads to success. Comfort leads to speed. Um, It's really, it's amazing that we can put people in a body geometry position, test it in the wind tunnel, test it in um, on the velodrome. And then we'll take the athlete's historical preferred position test it. Um, The truth is usually either in the middle or closer to the uh, body geometry setup. So comfort really does rule. Comfort is actually usually more aerodynamic than something that's uncomfortable because what the body has to do to try to uh, survive that uncomfortable, long, stretched out, low position. 
I remember you had a great story about uh, Fabian Cancellara and, and getting the, the handlebar height right. Yeah. Do you want to share that with us? Well, sure. Um, worked with Fabian over the years. And interestingly enough, he, um, he has really poor core strength, or at least he did at that, that early time in, in fitting. So we'd get him in a, in a great place, and he'd immediately lock out his elbows, basically because he didn't have the core strength to maintain the position that he was after. So all we had to do is raise his handlebars one centimeter and let him relax into the position, and his torso and head actually got lower to the wind. But didn't he have some resistance to that initially? Of course he did. <laughs> Matter of fact, the funnier story is that we had him all set up on his time trial bike. He was the reigning world TT champion at the time. And we actually raised him uh, several centimeters on his time trial bike. And he was just blown away by how comfortable it was and how good it felt on the velodrome and how good the numbers in the wind tunnel were. However, when he showed up at Tour of Switzerland, his home race, his old coach said, oh, my God, look at that. That bike looks so silly. And he dropped it back to the original height. And I'm watching the race on television and watching his hip rocks and watching, watching his neck suffer. And I'm saying to myself, what the hell happened to his position? And so I called his phone, left a message. Fabian, what did you do? And he called me back an hour later and told me what he'd done. And he actually lost the Tour of Switzerland that year based on the time trial. Yeah, so I would echo the the bike fit side mm-hmm. of things just because it doesn't matter how fast your aero helmet is or how much training you've been doing. If you're in the wrong position and you can't access the power that you've been building through your training, then you're not going to race very fast. So getting that bike fit, making sure that you're comfortable on your bike and that you you know can produce that power, that's a big thing. But I would also say that your bike, whatever bike you have, just making sure that it's in really good working condition is is huge take your bike to a bike shop and get you know a new chain new cassette new chain rings something like that where you're going to be able to pedal more efficiently and use all that power without it just being sucked away through your through your old components dan do you say buy a frame for one thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars no i do not uh I, I, first of all, I agree that yes, a fit is very important. Taking it to your bike shop, get your bike in tip top shape is important, but I'm a gear nerd. I love gear. I would spend the money on a really good set of race wheels. Nothing changes the character of your bike more than a good set of wheels and probably nothing benefits your bike more than a, a good set of wheels. Uh, rotational weight matters. The depth of the wheel matters. The rim width matters. And we're seeing companies go wider and wider with rim uh, width now to get a better contact patch, to get better, uh, lower rolling resistance. I would recommend something like a, a Zip 303 Firecrest, which comes in just at about $2,000. You'd have to buy some tires on top of that, and you have to choose between, of course, tubular and clincher. I would recommend tubular if you can afford it. If you're a bike racer too, probably. I mean, if you're not going to race, are you, are you still saying tubulars? No, I, I would say if you're, if you're not racing, uh, I mean, the, the conversation changes pretty significantly. But I still do think a good set of wheels will really change the way you ride your bicycle. I would stick with clinchers. And what about used? Because you, I mean, you're going to spend all your 2000 bucks on a single set of wheels. Obviously, we don't want to recommend that people go out and buy, you know, a pair of carbon wheels that is cracked and is going to kill you. But is it possible to, to find something cheaper than that 2000 bucks? Is there anything else out there? Or, or can we look to aluminum? Or what are the other options? A- absolutely. There are definitely, there's, there's so many options now. Uh, and kudos to Campagnolo for making some aluminum wheels that are really starting to compete with, with the best carbon out there. 
uh, at a lower price. Uh, so yeah, you don't have to go carbon. Uh, you know, there are really good aluminum race wheels out there. Uh, I would really recommend against buying used carbon, especially from places like eBay where you can't visually inspect it before you buy it. There's just a lot that can that can go wrong, uh, and you don't want to sacrifice your 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 dental health for a cracked rim. Uh, and also, if you've been following Velo News for any length of time, you know that we did an article on counterfeit carbon frames. There's carbon counterfeit wheels out there as well. Be very very careful with that stuff. It it's just not worth saving the money to crash in a race because you tried to save 500 bucks. Something I'm going to add to this as well is if you have it in the money, have a set of race wheels, but also have a set of training wheels because you don't want to be out in the bad weather in the winter and the spring on your $2,000 carbon clincher wheels and, and destroying those wheels before you get to a race. Uh, I've seen a lot of athletes who keep saying, why do I, why do I flatten races? Well, you want to keep those tires in good shape for the race. And you can't do that if you're training on them. So if you can have two sets of wheels, that's the ideal. But if you can't have two sets of wheels, actually have two sets of tires that you change right before the race. So you have something you train on, you can beat up. Frankly, go find something that looks a lot like a, a garden hose for 10 bucks. So we've all kind of agreed here that in terms of equipment, wheels are also one of the best places for performance that you can spend money getting a good set of race wheels. But when we're talking $2,000, you're not getting multiple sets of race wheels. So how do you guys feel about types of wheels? Should you be going deep dish or should you just be sticking with a, a thinner rim and focusing on the, the weight of the rim? I think some of that depends on where you live. Um, although, you know, we live here in Boulder, Colorado w with amazing climbs right out our back door and we still seem to race on flat crits all the time. So maybe it doesn't depend on where you live so much. Um, regardless, I think that, uh, a, a slightly deeper wheel is going to be best in most race scenarios, you know, something and in, in sort of the the 50 i would say the 45 to 60 millimeter range if you get much higher than that you're going to run into problems when it gets windy uh, much lower than that and you don't have as much aerodynamic benefits so you can get a nice light tubular in that sort of 55 range you know zip 404 is 50, 56 or 58 millimeters i think that's kind of the perfect all-around wheel and wide that's the other big one is, is get a nice wide wheel that works well with a 25 millimeter tire drops your rolling resistance much better so we get you two, uh, our, our, our tech gods in the room, to talk a little bit about what they mean by rotational weight versus aerodynamics on the wheel. Uh, well, rotational weight, let's, let's start there because I think when, when we talk about weight, uh, you know, people have a tendency to think, uh, you know, if I get the 14-pound bike versus a 15-pound bike, it's going to be faster. Well, that depends. Where is that weight being saved? Uh, and if it's being saved in the wheels, then yes, you, you're probably going to be faster because rotational weight matters a lot more than stationary weight. Rotational weight is basically anything that spins on your bike. So you're talking about cranks, you're talking about wheels, you know, anything that, that rotates essentially. And you could even argue to a point that shoes, you know, would count as rotational weight. Um, so that's going to matter uh, more than stationary weight. And the, the question is why? Well, think of it this way. If you have a heavier wheel, uh, versus a lighter wheel, you're going to use less energy to get that wheel, that lighter wheel going. So right there is a watt savings. Uh, and to keep that wheel going, 
you know, there's probably a little bit less of a difference, but think about how many times in a race you accelerate, decelerate when you're climbing, when you're sprinting, all of that's going to take extra watts out of your body, basically, every time you try to push a heavier wheel. And it also depends on where the weight is within the wheel. So if you have the deeper rims, you're going to have more weight around the outside of the wheel, which that changes um, how they accelerate. So deeper rims are going to accelerate a little bit slower, usually, depending on how the wheel is built. So you are sacrificing some of that with the aerodynamics of the deeper wheel with um, acceleration. And a lot of the companies are doing a great job of finding a good balance with that at this point. And we should mention that the, the math suggests that at high speeds, and particularly if you're, if you're at relatively constant speed, the aerodynamics, for the most part, is going to overwhelm the importance of that rotational weight. But if your favorite thing is going and climbing steep stuff, then yeah, you, you might want to think about going with something much shallower. I mean, there's a reason why those top pro guys are running 30 millimeter rims or, sh- or even shallower than that uh, on, on major climbing stages. Well, and I think depending on what kind of racer you are is also important in deciding how deep of uh, rims you want. So if you are a hill climber and you want to target those races this season, then maybe some lighter, shallower wheels are your your best option. If you're a crit racer or if you're somebody who's going to go off the front in a in a road race, something more aerodynamic is probably a better option. So it just kind of depends on the racer and um, and what you want to focus on. Well, and the aerodynamic shape of the wheel is not the only determining factor as to whether air flows well over it. I mean, you look at a zip uh, wheel, you know, yes, it's got that arrow cam tail sort of profile, but it also has these dimples on the side, much like a golf ball. And what that does is that helps the air essentially stick to the rim uh, so that instead of floating off the rim and creating an eddy, eddy of turbulent air on the backside of your rim, the air sort of flows more smoothly. So there's a lot that goes into uh, aerodynamics rather than just shape and depth. So you can feasibly, and I, you know, and I'm, I'm saying this without having done any sort of study, but you can feasibly have a shallower wheel that is more aerodynamic than a deep profile rim. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the aerodynamic data that companies like Zip and Head have been sending us for years, have, they always try to make that case. Um, again, I mean, that kind of data you always have to take with a grain of salt because it's coming straight from a, <laughs> from a manufacturer. But we've done a lot of our own testing as well, and, and it's definitely not always the deepest wheel that wins that that's for sure all right i like dan's answer because i too am a technophile and i think that trevor and Kristen was a cop out (laughs) (laughs) that's nonsense because you cannot buy coaching and a bike fit if you do not first own a bicycle so my 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 recommendation is an aluminum race bike and hear me out on this one because uh i know carbon is the hot thing, but the aluminum race bikes that have come out in the last couple of years are truly phenomenal. Uh, Specialized Delay is really, really good. It's a fantastic bike. Cannondale, uh, now we're up to the CAD 12, Jeez, uh, I have 14, 16, 8, I don't know, CAD something. Uh, that bike has been really good for 15 years. Uh, and, it, and it just keeps getting better and better. And you can pick up those bikes with like Shimano 105 for fifteen hundred bucks or less. That's a phenomenal deal. Uh the next two, I'm actually gonna play by the rules here. We got two thousand bucks. I got fifteen hundred bucks on a on a specialized delay. I'm gonna add in a pair of specialized turbo cotton tires, which I think are like a hundred bucks each ish. Uh those have been shown to decrease rolling resistance pretty dramatically. Uh we're talking, you know, 
four to five watts over other really good tires and closer to 10 over really bad tires. And finally, and this is actually from a test that we ran in Velenews a couple years ago, wax your chain. Paraffin wax, it's like four bucks. Put it in an old crock pot, dunk your chain in there. We proved that it is worth a couple watts over most lubes and like six or seven watts over really bad lubes. And Dan is wants to say something, but I'm not going to give him the microphone because oh, I'm not done yet, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those are my things. And that is, well, $4. You have to have a chain first, but I guess that would come with the bicycle. So I am up to uh, $1,804 and I'm faster than all of you. All right. So would you wax your chain over, say, sending your chain to Ceramic Speed or buying a Ceramic Speed coated chain? Uh, so actually they started, they bought the, um, they bought their, their formula from the guy named Jason Smith, uh, who performed that initial testing for us. So he did the testing for us, which was third party testing, um, and then used the results essentially to develop his own super fast chain. So he uses a Durace chain, which has been proven to be faster than both SRAM and Campagnolo. We don't really know why, uh, but it is adds in the wax and, and a couple other secret ingredients. Honestly, you know, if you want to spring for one of those, they're like, they're a little over a hundred dollars, which is pretty pricey. Um, and you only get a tiny bump over just using paraffin that you buy for four bucks in a grocery store. So maybe for your huge, big, you know, if you're going to do one big race a year, yeah, jump in. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to race Kona in your triathlete or if you're going to race Leadville or something like that, go for it. But for, you know, every – if you're going to race every weekend, you want the, the, that those watts every weekend, I just buy the paraffin. But if you're going to race every weekend, the paraffin doesn't last as – you have to con- you have to do it over and over again. It lasts for maybe – they say like four or 500 miles. That's – yeah, that's it even doesn't. stretching it. It lasts for <laughs> like 100 to 150 miles, especially depending on the, the conditions you're riding in. So you'd be prepared to spend your time if you're not going to spend your money. I'd like to debate your math. Uh, <laughs> this is the first time in my life I've ever said those words, in fact. Uh, I think you forgot a key component to that, which is you got to buy a crock pot to melt all that wax. <laughs> All right, all right. So I, I bought a crock pot. Now I'm up to one thousand. How much is a crock pot? I have no idea how much a crock pot is. <laughs> Eighty bucks. All right, we're up to one thousand eight hundred and eighty-four dollars now. Since you guys all had your cop out with your training and your bike fits, I want to know what you would actually buy for two thousand bucks to make your bike go faster, or to get a, no. You have to buy a bike to begin with as well. That's the rule. Well, I'm, I just rule. changed the rules. You now have to buy a bicycle and stuff for it for two thousand bucks. That's changing changing the game, man. Hold on, because there's only I mean, there's first of all, so if you're if you have to buy a bike for under two thousand dollars and other upgrades, it, so you're basically limited to you're basically limited to non carbon bikes. That was a fun noise. Do that again in, in the <laughs> I don't know about that. So, like, the Cannondale also makes uh, – r- I'm not a tech editor anymore. Remind me, Kristen. It's announced. Or, what's no. the, which one are you talking about? Cat 12 or the aluminum? They make – what's the carbon one? They they make an, a cheap Evo. Yeah. I mean, they have low, Yeah, like, they make, like, a $2,200 Evo, which is over our limit, but – Are you changing the game here? That's not fair. No, we got 2000 bucks. <laughs> Hold on. Everybody stay tuned. No, I want to rag on you guys. That's, I waited. Yeah. I waited. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something in here. Going back to what you were talking about with the specialized, 
So when I was managing Team Rio Grande, I tried to put them on those specialized LA aluminum bikes and got this. <gasps> and the entire year, that was the only time the team argued with me because they couldn't imagine being on aluminum. But something I found really interesting had happened while I was living there. In Ithaca, New York, they did a study where they took a carbon fiber, a steel, an aluminum, and a titanium frame, and they painted them all so you couldn't tell which was which. Took about 100 riders, put them on all the, all the bikes, and had them try to figure out which bike was which. Of those 100 riders, only one got it. And I spoke to him. He said, I have a flat guess. <laughs> what you can't feel the frame. Despite what people think, you really can't feel the frame. What you feel are the wheels and the fork. And geometry. And geometry. No, I, I would, I would, I mean, I would somewhat agree with you there. Uh, I would, I would wager, and again, this is only because as a former technical editor of Velo News, I clearly have superior powers in this realm. Let's total paint some bikes and nonsense. see what you can do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would wager that I could tell the difference between a carbon frame and a steel frame for sure. Wait, and do we still have enough money in your math to buy the spray paint? Well, now now we're talking in purely <laughs> hypothetical. Changing the game again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I you can you can feel the difference between a really nice carbon frame and a really crappy steel or aluminum frame. I would I would would say that like a very nice aluminum frame you'd have trouble feeling that difference between that and most carbon frames and yes you are absolutely correct that wheels and tires in particular are going to have more of a difference the only way you could feel the difference between those frames is if you had the same wheels on them the same tires pumped up to the exact same pressure because 5 psi in the tires is going to have a greater impact on ride quality than any frame change like you know, tarmac to Roubaix, it doesn't matter. Five PSI on the tires is going to have a, a more dramatic impact. I think you're being a little dramatic here. <laughs> I think, uh, first of all, I think there there is a noticeable difference between aluminum and carbon, uh, regardless of what wheels you're riding, regardless of what components are on there. And this actually happened to me fairly recently, right before I started uh, working here at Vela News. I borrowed a road bike uh, from somebody, and I hopped on it. I didn't really look at it very closely. I basically got my saddle height, hopped on, and started riding. And I was riding along, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this ride's really harsh for a carbon bike. And then I hopped off and realized I was riding aluminum. And I was like, man, this ride's really nice for aluminum, you know? <laughs> so there, there's definitely – I think especially with uh, – the vibration damping qualities of carbon. I think you, if you're really paying attention, you can certainly feel a difference between the metals, the metal and the carbon. But does that mean that you should be riding one or the other? But wouldn't you say that you could do the same thing with tire pressure? Drop my tire pressure and feel yeah, feel or, a difference? Yeah, or like switch from 23s to 25s and drop tire pressure by 10 PSI, and you're going to get more of a difference in ride quality than switching from an aluminum bike to a carbon bike. I think you can, yeah, and but I think you know then you're also making changes to the way you ride. I mean, if you ride, run a lower pressure on your tires, you know, or a 25 instead of a 28, yeah, you're you're changing you're changing rolling resistance, you're changing contact patch, you're making a lot of sacrifices, uh, and I think that's why there's been a switch to carbon because you're not making those sacrifices and you have more control over other, you know, marginal gains. Okay, I will accept. Your apology. Uh, <laughs> and I have the microphone, so you cannot respond. Uh, okay, but this comes back. 
Sorry. I think most people underestimate metal bikes, though. You know, I think that we all think carbon is the be-all, end-all of race bikes. And, yeah, there's a, there's a difference, and some people will feel that difference more than others will. But um, I think you got to give aluminum and even steel, oh, definitely tie, um, a chance. Yeah, I mean, my, my favorite bike in the world is a tie bike with SNS couplers, which you know, if you just looked at that on his face, you're like, no way is that the best bike. But it's it it's the best riding bike I have ever been on. Part of that is it's a custom bike, and so it fits me perfectly. But it's actually, the geometry is almost millimeter for millimeter off of a Scott foil. So the geometry alone is not the entirety of the reason why I love it. It's also just, just rides really, really nice, and it's still super stiff. And I think you're right. Metal bikes, we've forgotten them for 15 years. And we need to unforget them because particularly if we're talking about this $2,000 limit, it is far and away your best option for getting into something race worthy uh, and still fast. My, my favorite bike is still my 1994 titanium race bike, which I still use for training. And the saddest day of my life is when a teammate took one look at that and said, Trevor, that bike's older than I am. <laughs> my favorite bike is the bike I'm riding. So what I would actually do first step with any bike I got. And this and and let's be honest, whenever we get a test bike in here, it's the first thing that we do is we swap out the saddle. So what I would do is I would go to the bike shop, get my sit bones measured, and I would invest in a saddle that fits me well. I, and, and a lot of your local bike shops will do a saddle testing uh, program where you can take out several saddles and see which one fits you best. I would do that first and foremost. I don't care if you have to spend $350 on that saddle, whatever, get a saddle that fits you. That is 100% my first step. It is great that you said that because that is possibly the most important thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, if you're uncomfortable in a race, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about your butt instead of you're thinking about, you know, sprinting for the win. So yeah, absolutely. Be comfortable on the bike. That is step one. Absolutely. Every time you buy a bike. And would you say almost equally as important is the shoes and having the right insoles, having the right fit with the shoes? Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that now that we've had this, this little conversation, we can we can go back to, like, obviously fit is vital. I mean, I, I was I called it a cop out, but they're absolutely correct in that you know you should set aside two hundred bucks out of your two thousand to buy a new bicycle and then get it fit properly. So maybe that's the last two hundred bucks in mine. But with that established, saddle, other contact points like shoes. I mean, even pay attention to things like your handlebar. Your gloves. Your gloves. Uh, and, and just another point that, and this is not across the board, but a lot of bike shops, if you go in and buy a $2,000 bike, they're going to give you the fit for free. So call around. I mean, see see if your local bike shop has a fit program. That saves you the 200 bucks, and then you got 200 bucks to pay, play with for a better saddle, for, for example. For an inside-the-industry perspective, we caught up with Chris Yu, who's the head of the Specialized Wind Tunnel and chief aerodynamicist over at Specialized. He also works with their pro teams quite a lot. Uh, and asked him where he'd spend his money from an aerodynamic standpoint. So by far it's the fit. Since the arrow, the arrow of the rider contributes something like you know up to eighty percent of the total arrow drag of of your total system. Again, getting that fit so that you can ride in the drops or ride in the arrow bars. That's that's by far the biggest thing for your buck just because it impacts such a big part of the equation. So that's one. Two is anything else that you interface with, you know. So since since again you're responsible for so much of aero drag, that means that your clothing and your helmet become extremely important. And so having a kit that is as trim cut to you as possible, there are a lot of new kits out there 
such as ours that use technical fabrics to try to improve aerodynamic efficiency over the kit. But at, at the end of the day, it's really just having a nice fit. Don't go one size too big. Don't go for that club fit, you know, if, if you're serious about performance. And that's that's almost for everyone one of the biggest changes you can make or one of the biggest improvements you can make in terms of aero efficiency. And the helmet is, is not far back from there. And then from there, it's all the typical things that everyone thinks about, frame, wheels, stuff like that. That's a good question. If uh, somebody said, came to you and said, I can't afford everything, I can afford a few things, mm-hmm. uh, what would you tell yep. them to buy first or what order would you tell them to buy it in? Kit and helmet. Well, fit, kit. So the helmet will be after the kit just because it's such an easy – I mean, a helmet is a couple hundred dollars for for a good aero helmet, um, whether it's for triathlon and full aero helmet or a road aero helmet but that's that's a very effective bang for your buck. And then after that, wheels and frames are kind of uh, in, in a category of themselves. They're, they're more of a – they're a bigger purchase, and there's a lot more associated with it. It's a much more emotional purchase for a lot of people too. So it's, it's one of those things where if you're going to upgrade your frame, then, yeah, of course, make sure that you're getting the one that serves you the best. Um, and if aero efficiency is, is that goal, then go for it but um in terms of bang for your buck it's it's really the stuff that you interface with all right so there's clearly some consensus in this room there's also uh, a couple points of contention let's revisit our original question but alter it just slightly or at least clarify it a bit working off the assumption that you need to buy a bike and anything else that is required for bike racing you have two thousand bucks where does your money go and we will start with velonews technical editor dan cavallari okay so Working off of the paradigm that I need to choose a bicycle and then an upgrade, my choice would be a Cannondale Super 6 Evo Tiagra, which is $1,840, and then I would invest the rest of that in a saddle that fits me properly. Probably puts me just a hair over $2,000, especially with tax. That's acceptable. Well, I would shop around and find an aluminum or steel bike that had the right geometry for me. Um, probably keep it in the Shimano 105 kind of range. Hopefully. Use the SRAM Rival. Yeah, exactly. SRAM Rival. Yeah. Either one. I think it just depends on, on the person. So I don't know what bike I would actually end up buying. But um, So I'd get that bike. If there was, let's say, $500 left over, I would invest that into a fit. I think you know those are definitely the two most important things. You don't have enough money left over for wheels at that point. So whatever bike you got, try and get one with some decent wheels on it. And then anything that you can just do to kind of take care of yourself through training. So getting the right kind of food to, to race with and doing some stuff like preload. So where you're, um, you're kind of overloading with salt before racing, that kind of stuff. So it's all those little pieces that you can start, you know, adding in once you've gotten the big things covered. And Trevor, Mr. Retrogratch, you would find a Huffy at Walmart. And... I already have my Huffy from Walmart. <laughs> Well, I'm going to add in the thing that I think we all agree on here that's probably worth stating is just as important as as the bike is finding a, a good shop that's going to take care of you, that that's going to service you when the bike starts working not so well, um, and, and then see what they have. And then after that, I'm going to put aside the $300 for a good fit from somebody that you know is good. Um, put aside the money for the right saddle, for the right shoes, and whatever's left over. Let's face it, that's not enough to buy a really good set of wheels and a really good bike. So I'm probably going to say get good race wheels later. 
Um, but right now I'm going to get a, a decent mid-level, probably aluminum frame um, with mid-level componentry um, and just go for the bike that um, I know is going to hold together and, and be able to, to serve me in a race. And I kind of already gave my answer. <laughs> Same deal. I mean, there are lots of options in sort of that uh, that $1,500 range. Um, none are particularly astoundingly good, but most aren't terrible. And then you throw some nice tires on there and, and wax your chain, and you have a bike that can compete with almost anything. Let me re-ask this question real quick. Uh, so this time you already own a bike. So, you know, you already have something totally raceable, good to go. Then what do you do? What do you spend the money on? Because uh, it's only upgrades at this point. What do you spend your two thousand dollars on if you already have a bike? Let's start with the news associate editor, Kristen Ligon. So I definitely start with getting a good set of wheels. I think that can really transform your bike. Um, from there, going on to just doing an upgrade to your components, or at least just taking care of main- in maintenance with your components. Um, so you know, thinking about a new chain, new cassette something like that. Um, and then anything that you're going to use during the race that you can use during training as well as when you're racing. So food, um, you know, the right kind of sports drink that's going to help you or gels, getting some of that stuff and using them in your training before you go and race with those. So kind of stocking up with that. And that'll be well under 2000 bucks for sure. Although race wheels, maybe not. Yeah, get the most <laughs> expensive race. No, the most, well, get I mean, the best set of race wheels you can for under two thousand dollars or right. whatever your budget. And is. fill in the gap with nutrition is exactly a... just some smaller stuff. Good recommendations. We'll pass this over to Velo News technical editor Dan Cavallari. For my money, I'm going with a set of Zip three hundred three Firecrest clinchers, and then I'm going to take out my credit card. And I'm going to buy a a set of uh, specialized turbo cotton tires to go with them. Uh, And then I'm going to really max out the credit card, and I'm going to get a nice, comfortable saddle. And on to Captain Retro Grouch, Mr. Trevor Connor. So I think I'm going to start with setting aside the money to get a good, proper bike fit from a respected source. Um, and the money to get whatever saddle you need that comes out of that bike fit and getting the proper shoes. Then whatever money I have left, I'm going to set aside $5, put the rest into a good set of race wheels, and our tech editors can tell you much better what are good race wheels. The $5, big bag of sand, pour down Kaylee's top tube (laughs) into his frame the night before the race, and I'm set. Uh, Well, that's rude, Trevor. (laughs) For five bucks, I'll club his kneecap, man. You know what I can say? (laughs) Uh, well, I, I kind of already went over my, my 2000 bucks, but I, I talked about a bike. So I would essentially uh, replace the bike that I mentioned earlier with a good set of race wheels. And again, we, we're not here to, to, to necessarily pick what the best set of race wheels is. But the big names that you've heard of are all, are all making excellent stuff. Envy, Zip, Head, uh, you know, Bontrager is actually making phenomenal wheels these days uh you look for something yeah campagnolo is excellent um something relatively wide you know in the in the sort of 40 to 60 millimeter depth um and then from there just you know shop around and and see what you can find and don't be afraid to go used but definitely be very very careful and we wouldn't necessarily recommend things like ebay where you can't you know check it out with your by yourself before you buy wrap it with uh really fast tires vittoria has some new cotton sidewall tires 
specialized, the aforementioned specialized turbos are incredibly fast. Those have been proven to drop rolling resistance immediately. That's essentially, f- well, not free speed. They're about 100 bucks a pop. So $200 worth of speed, add in a wax chain, you have absolute fast spike you can you can get for that amount of money. And I think that would be, that's how I would spend it. Because I don't care about saddles and shoes and fit. Those things don't matter. <laughs> well, that's it for today. Thank you to our special guests, Velenu's technical editor, Dan Cavallari, and Velenu's associate editor, Kristen Legan. Trevor and I will be back next time we're back. <laughs> back next time, you have to find us. This is a game of hide and seek, everybody. We don't come back until you locate us. <laughs> If you'd like us to come back, please send $5 to 3002. <laughs> well, thank you to our two special guests today, Dan Cavallari, technical editor here at Vela News, and Kristen Legan, associate editor here at Vela News. Uh, you will definitely hear from them again whenever we're, we're going to chat equipment. They don't work too far away from me, so we can definitely bring them back in. From Trevor and I, thanks again for listening to Fast Talk the Villainous Performance Podcast, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.